For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Our topic today, the cookie is dead, along with the cookie. What happens to online advertising when the cookie crumbles? The end of third-party cookies, the software marketers use to track people's online activity to tailor specific ads, is upending the world of addressable media. In June, Google announced that it is delaying its plans to phase out third-party cookies on its Chrome browser until 2023, a year or so later than originally planned. However, other browsers like Safari and Firefox have already implemented some blocking against third-party tracking cookies. It adds up to a growing onus on CMOs and brand managers to craft new online ad targeting strategies based on first-party data and fast. According to a study released by Dentsu earlier this summer, titled The Cookieless World, 60% of 200 marketers polled said they are unsure about new solutions and the consequences on their business without having access to cookies. Dramatic shifts in consumer sentiment are at the heart of the changes, with 50% of respondents to the Dentsu survey saying it's important that organizations gain their active consent to use their personal data to provide them with more relevant online ads. It's a crucial period for CMOs, as crafting new addressable media strategies will have a significant impact on their future and how marketers boast over their value in the eyes of the C-suite. Here to discuss these issues and what they mean for marketers are a trio of experts. Joe Zawatsky, CEO of MediaMath, which helps brands buy addressable media. Joanna O'Connell, VP Principal Analyst at Forrester Research. And Bill Tucker, Group Executive Vice President of the ANA, who is in charge of data, technology, and measurement, and Executive Director for the Partnership for Responsible Addressable Media, or PRAM, which includes more than 400 major brands, trade groups, and agencies. Thank you all for being here. Joe, I'd like to start with you. Give us the big picture around new approaches to addressable media and identity. Thank you, Matthew, and um, I appreciate the uh, the first baton pass in this um, August group of uh, dear friends and colleagues. Uh, so I will um, I'll sort of do as you asked, and maybe do a little bit of sort of uh, context around the sort of current state of addressability, of identity, of identification, and you know, having uh, again worked with um, Joanna and, and uh, uh, Bill on a lot of this over the years. I think uh, sort of thoughts here are. Um, uh, kind of representative of the you know of the whole, but um, I think that the emphasis now you know on the third party cookie and what you know uh, replacements that are here and sort of will come to it are really just putting a spotlight on work that's been you know going on for you know for some time. Your point that uh, in the browser world of Safari and Firefox, you know, we've been looking for uh, sort of alternatives. Uh, you know, already you know mobile devices kind of work a different way. The fact that TVs now are sort of a increasingly sort of connected part of a digital ecosystem in sort of various ways from, you know, the kind of advanced TV and sort of OTT world to, you know, how do you make it work across all all screens, all speakers um, everywhere in the world, including sort of big billboards and um, audio devices that, um, you know, that surround us that you know, were sort of never built off third-party cookie sort of to begin with basically just says the need for this kind of designed approach to addressability is long overdue and think that a lot of of the you know work right now has got to be okay. How do we, you know, we as an industry sort of have a common uh, taxonomy or sort of shared understanding of the you know the framework, the you know the Maslow's hierarchy of addressability, perhaps, where you're sort of building up from ways to make sort of uh, mass media 
buying more efficient, whether that's around, gosh, geography or around context up through the portfolio, you know, deterministic approaches, you know, sort of cohort-based approaches, both from the likes of, uh, you know, Google and the portal flock or looking at sort of third parties that are doing the same thing, like a uh, you know, InfoSum, for example, through to the cohort or the, the sort of consent-based solutions that, uh, you know, LiveRamp or uh, Zeotap, you know, evangelizing. The idea that the whole industry kind of needs to look at addressability, you know, both from the front end, sort of the, you know, the targeting and optimization and, and personalization perspective through to the measurement and attribution perspective gives us, I think, uh, the opportunity to sort of zoom out and say, okay, what does that portfolio need to look like at the end? And then how do we work backwards from there into the steps required to, you know, select a stitch and scale across that portfolio um, over the next X uh, months and quarters in order to recreate it, what the third-party cookie sort of allowed in a, you know, sort of an evolved 20-year hack. Um, how do we do that by design? And um, that has been a lot of the work, I think, that, again, transitioning to perhaps to Joanna and the work at Forrester, and then obviously Bill and the work at the, you know, the ANA and, and sort of Prime in particular, kind of all have that, um, you know, work backwards from where we want to go and, and, you know, acknowledge sort of where we're starting from and, and sort of connect those dots of, uh, of sort of identity and addressability and, and the signals that, you know, need to be there from sort of where we are standing start here at the uh, um, sort of second half of 2021. When we pull out, when we zoom out and we talk about first party data, does that force marketers to fundamentally shift quality from quantity when it comes to ad targeting? I think you're getting ahead of yourself. I think we need to spend a little bit more time talking about what got us to this place that would then set us up to be able to talk about all of the forces that are reshaping data-driven advertising. And then we can kind of talk about what it's going to look like and what marketers should do about it. Because I think what happens is we tend to default to the thing that seems the most salient, which is third-party cookies are going away or the world is going to move to a, a model of first-party data collection. It's not that those things aren't true. It's just that those are pieces of a much larger whole. So, you know, Joe mentioned that we've been looking at this from a research standpoint, and it's true. You know, we've been thinking thinking about this for years and years and I think rightly appreciated that the set of forces that were going that are going on right now that are reshaping data-driven advertising are in large part a direct byproduct of the way that we all individually and collectively and as an industry have behaved when it comes to access to consumer data. So third-party cookie deprecation is a symptom of a larger problem, which is consumer choice, transparency, respect when it came to data access and data usage it just wasn't what it should, what it needed to be. So deprecation of third-party cookie is the browser saying, hey, we're stepping in on behalf of consumers. Same thing with Apple, with mobile ad ID changes. Same thing with regulators and, and legislative bodies stepping in with, with sort of new rules around consent, transparency, choice, and the like. Same thing with consumers taking privacy protecting actions themselves in their kind of digital day to day. All of those things mean that this idea of person level addressability, which we've all gotten into the habit of believing was just a given, is frankly not a given. And maybe it never should have been a given. You know, I mean, maybe we didn't really have the right to get right up into people's business, even though we could. So when we think about a future of addressability, we have to think about this idea of what kind of level of access do we have to a consumer or an audience? And what is the right thing to do with that level of access? So as Joe was talking about profiles and ID-based solutions and cohorts and, and context and geography, he's right. Those are all different ways in which we are going to be able to access audiences. 
But the reality is this person level addressability sits at the very top of a pyramid, which really should help a brand understand the sense of scale that we're talking about here. Having the right and the ability to talk to a person is going to be a more relatively rare thing, as opposed to things like delivering against an audience, a group, or uh, delivering against some kind of contextual or other kind of signal. So anyway, just, I think, some important context setting there. Okay, Joanne, I'd like you to hold your thought on the pyramid because I do want to discuss that. But Joe, if I could circle back to you and quickly, what are some of the new models emerging among your clients when it comes to these changes? How do marketers strengthen the scaffold when we talk about targeted advertising? I think the current kind of state of the art, I think, is in fact to look at the scaffolding and sort of say, okay, what are the various tools, techniques, and then companies perhaps that will allow me to be able to sort of identify from NAS down to, you know, one to one on the upfront addressability and personalization side. And then, you know, how do we then connect those kind of inputs to, to sort of outcomes with the solutions on the measurement and the attribution side? So I think where most people are right now is they understand and some of the parts so some of the component technologies that are, you know, necessary, you know, largely because vendors and, and partners are out there putting their hands up and saying we have solutions to this impending change. I would say the, you know, sort of the general zeitgeist right now is, okay, let's start to explore those, but let's do it in the context of a understanding of what the, the sort of the categories are. So just using the C's, people are looking at contextual solutions, cohort solutions, consent-based solutions, um, and basically saying, okay, I I do need to have that sort of scaffold or that framework in place because it will guide my work, right? I don't want to go out there and just start testing some stuff without an understanding of how it combines into a sort of a comprehensive solution. And I also need to understand how those uh, tests then ladder up into, you know, my production environment or my overall sort of marketing stack and approach. So I think generally people are taking the necessary zoom out moment and then trying to put the work that in many cases is like already under way into that framework. And Joanna, this pyramid, what does it consist of and how does it relate to what uh, Joe was just talking? Again, if we're thinking about something like addressability, we have to step back and think, okay, well, what does that mean, addressability? At the most basic, you could think of it as I can put signal in and signal comes back. You know, I can target something and I can learn something about what happened. But if we tighten that a little bit and say person level addressability, then we have to start thinking about targeting or measuring against individual people. When you think about it that way, when you think about addressability as almost like a sliding scale from addressable to a person level all the way out to really not addressable at all in the traditional sense of talking to a person, then the pyramid visual becomes pretty helpful because you can say at the tippy top of the pyramid are going to be those somewhat rarefied relationships that are direct and permissioned and the user is known to a publisher, to a brand where the user essentially can be targeted and spoken to as an individual. Underneath that is going to be a slightly larger set of offerings and targeting capabilities and the like that are going to be abstracted away from I know you as a person. And that could take a whole bunch of different forms. And, and Joe mentioned several of them. And further on down the pyramid, where you get sort of further and further away from the idea of talking to a, a person per se, but rather say an audience or being relevant in an environment or based on other kinds of environmental or contextual cues. So the reason I think this is so important is because we have fallen, I think, into the habit of talking about the future as though it is somehow 
going to be a new version of the past where we get to target people and retarget people and do all these things and hyper-personalize and all this stuff. It's not that that's fundamentally bad. We just overused it and we didn't use it in the right ways. So I think you need to be able to think about it that way to then have a conversation about things like what is the role of identity in this future? What is appropriate when it comes to talking to individuals in this future? Kind of rather than just defaulting to, oh, it'll be cookie based or it'll, it won't be cookie based, but it'll be identity based or it won't be third party cookies, but it'll be first party cookies, right? I mean, the mechanic should come after the strategic conversation about what is appropriate in this new consumer kind of more consumer friendly future. Mechanics being messaging and engagement. No, mechanics being infrastructural stuff, like is a a thing called an ID going to be a thing that gets used as currency in biddable media environments, for example, like OpenRTB? The short answer is yes, but not for everything and not all the time. So the mechanics of how digital advertising actually is going to work, how different systems are going to communicate with one another, how audiences are going to be constructed, how things are going to be measured... I actually literally mean those kinds of mechanics like that stuff. It should be secondary to, you know, really thinking about what is right and appropriate for users in a world where we're thinking significantly more about their right to privacy, transparency and choice. Okay, And Bill, I'm going to go to you now. You lead Pram on behalf of the AA in the industry. Can you bring us up to speed on the group's efforts and why are they so crucial for CMOs moving forward? Sure. You know, I'd like to connect to the conversation, though. CMOs and their teams are all deeply immersed in the change of the post-cookie, third-party cookie environment, test the various solutions that have just been, approaches that have just been discussed or preparing to, whether that be cohort, context, first party, or alternative third party, alternative media identifier to a to a cookie. And that's that's particularly where Pram is focused. Pram is focused on the journey of enabling an alternative media identifier for, for specific business use cases, specific permitted for, um, permitted uses and for availability as a solution to what Joanna said. May not be for everybody, may not be used all the time. Some advertisers will opt not to employ identifiers and some absolutely will. So what we've been doing for the last year has been building the foundation to enable that. And it's been a coalition across ANA, WFA, 4As, IAB, IAB Tech Lab, and NAI with governing group executives and, you know, a small team. That includes myself, Michael Donnelly, Stu Angus of Venable, Andrew Weinstein of Corporate Community, who's a corporate communications consultant, as kind of the core team. And what we've been doing is operationalizing a sequence of working groups, enabling an alternative media identifier to be stood up. So we started with a business use case working group, which basically documented for the first time the fundamental use cases of a third-party cookie, whether it's audience building, uh, measurement attribution, and, and many, many other specific use cases. Tech Lab issued some core standards in the first quarter to enable an identifier to be stood up against accountability and compliance. And the policy working group is preparing to release shortly a framework, a first ever framework for an alternative media identifier that's going to stipulate how the choices for alternative media identifiers need to operate in the context of permitted use cases, availability, compliance, and so on. And that's going to be a very big point in time because there are right now many pilots right now in place, but the criteria for such pilots hasn't really been available. So we're going to start to have criteria 
for which PRAM, PRAM stands for. And then from there, we'll basically be building out the essential functionality of the organization through the lens of the framework, standards, the use cases, you know, and recommending those solutions that meet these standards to assist the, the coalition members in selecting and partnering with those that are considered safe, responsible, effective, and scalable. And of course, you know, the consumer is at the heart of everyone's mission, at the top of everyone's priority list of having privacy-preserving technology. And the consumer is central to the framework in their role in participating in, in the building of the identifier. Can you talk about some of the online ad strategies, sort of, and I understand it's a fluid situation out there, but if you can talk to Bill, some of the online ad strategies reaching a consensus among PRAM members when it comes to the most effective ways for how CMOs reach their audience in a post-cookie future? Again, the strategies are, for most marketers, are to fully understand all the solution sets that are available to them and then build their own approach that works for them. And that includes first party, it includes cohort, it includes contextual, and it includes alternative third-party identifier. So that's the uh, you know the broad universe. There's other approaches inside, but those strategies are going to enable marketers to achieve their use cases. Now, identity is managed differently in each one of those solutions. So you've got companies who have philosophies about their consumer and the need for that consumer to provide explicit permission for them to uh, to share their information and for their information to be used to serve relevant ads or for, and for other use cases. So what marketers are trying to figure out right now, and they've had to do this in part due to the Apple IDFA policy, which is how do I best engage a consumer and ask them for permission to consent to their information for advertising? And we're spending a lot of time with CMOs with um, you know custom research and assessing all the, all the work that's been done to give them the tools and the, and the best practices that are available so far. We have a task force going on this as well to help marketers really understand how the consumer feels right now about this, because basically it hasn't really had to become a big issue to the level that it has you know, right now for them. And when we talk about successors to the cookie, Joe, do you think marketers got lazy or at least complacent with their reliance on third-party cookies the last several years? How do they sort of change their mindset? Yes, I do. But I think that's um, sort of a perhaps human nature, you know, where there's plenty of things that need to get done in any marketing organization in terms of some of the aforementioned connections between sort of inputs and outcomes to what's the right marketing org design to how do I have the right constellation of, you know, media technology and service partners around. And I think in a lot of cases, things, you know, don't sort of become a priority until they're a crisis and that it's sort of deemed a, you know, a shared priority amongst peers and otherwise. So, yes, uh, but understandably so. I think we're in a particularly sort of poignant time, perhaps, where like, you know, the market forces are acknowledged, right? Whether it's regulation, consumer expectation, the, you know, the competitive, you know, dynamics that surround this um, with a lot of, you know, sort of the major uh, platforms changing policy in the light of all this. That basically says, okay, we've, now it's time to, you know, time to act. And I think the stutter start, perhaps, with some of the, you know, Google's uh, specific timetables, you know, should be sort of a, you know, rallying cry to say, okay, there's a little bit of extra, perhaps, time to do this right, 
but too good times to plant a tree 20 years ago and today. Don't delay yet further. Kind of use this moment to kind of crystallize the approach and to uh, and to get active. And um, I think it's Joanna sort of mentioned it in some of the in sort of her comment about retargeting and marketers often rely too long known challenges and sometimes overexploit known opportunities. So classic examples being reliance on the on clicks and sort of the current method of, of sort of attribution. Like everybody knows that that's a, a one type of proxy, but not the dream state of fully instrumented digital set of inputs connected to customer lifetime value, cross product portfolio over time. And is this an opportunity to you know, address that given sort of the implications of, you know, of the sort of historical approaches to the sort of technology, the third party cookie. Well, boy, if it's sort of changing your historic measurement systems and your ability to do year over year comparisons using flawed metrics, is that sort of opportunity to, um, to sort of think more, you know, more broadly. And I think that is where the market will ultimately um, end up is the fact that forced change to the foundations require us to really be thoughtful around the, you know, the use cases that Bill identified. The fact that in order to answer the questions around alternative identifiers required a constellation of, you know, marketers, agencies, media owners, and technology companies to sit together, you know, with uh, lawyers and with um, sort of the trades to say, what are we trying to actually accomplish with digital? What are the use cases that we want to explicitly enable? What are the ones that we want to explicitly prohibit? What are the ones that, you know, require particular types of, you know, consumer buy-in and uh, education? And the fact that we as an industry are doing that sort of pretty fundamental work now as an answer to the question of what, what should we do about third-party cookies does really suggest that there's a need for and an opportunity to really be thoughtful around sort of all parts of the, of the marketing equation. And uh, not a moment too soon. Wanted to go uh, back to Bill, and this is something that we had sort of discussed uh, on offline. But not to sound too hyperbolic, Bill, but how disruptive do you think the transition will be for CMOs and marketers moving forward? Well, I think we're actually in the disruption now. So we're in transition. And what I've been delighted to see is how many people are devoted to solution building, both advertisers, publishers, technology companies, and trades. So the extra time that we've been granted by Google is very, very significant. We're going to move as aggressively as possible. But that extra time gives us now the ability to transition right so that we don't have unintended consequences of a rush process, forcefully rush process that doesn't give us the right time to transition. We've struggled with Apple's transition to IDFA and learned the pain that is involved when we don't have the time to transition and to, or to work new solutions because we're not just transitioning one solution, we're transitioning into a small handful of solutions that need to be built, constructed, validated, etc. So I think we're in the disruption. It is um, being certainly attacked by many companies and many companies, of course, are looking at this, waiting to see you know where and when to lean in and put their time into the work. But everyone's everyone's is going to be impacted by it, and there will be disruption. And uh, as uh, the transition accelerates, and more CMOs see the need to be proactive in this area, I'd like to get from each of you to uh, wrap up here the hidden challenges and opportunities for CMOs to cultivate tangible marketing practices for a cookie-less world. Joanna, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean it's such an interesting thing because what could happen, it could be treated as a 
okay, we need to find some technical solutions for this disruption that's happening. Okay, we need to invest more in first-party data collection. Those are sort of tactical things. What would be amazing would be if CMOs could appreciate the opportunity that this presents to sort of rethink their engagement strategy with consumers. Like who, what does a brand stand for? What does a brand want to be to its prospects and customers? What kinds of experiences does a brand believe that it can deliver? Where can it create value? And then out of that, you get things like, okay, what is the impact for the folks who work in CX? What is the impact for the folks that work in in data strategy, in analytics, in media, in digital marketing. Do you know what I mean? Like then you have sort of a top-down flow that comes from a from a strategic starting point. Joe, what do you see as the signposts ahead? Look, I've got um, particular bias for action here. I use the days of thunder steering to the crash. The folks that do come out the other side, and it's, uh, it's sort of clear, you know, clear driving as a result. But the industry certainly at the kind of Fortune 2000 level is looking for leadership, and it is looking for the marketers that are in that sort of front to, you know, be willing to sort of push through and, and have the balance, like the rest of the ecosystem, you know, kind of align around their framework one hand, but then, you know, because of their leadership and they're willing to sort of invest ahead, then, you know, also sort of bend the, you know, sort of the marketplace around, you know, their specific goals and constraints. So this is, this is happening. And I think being in the sort of the front third and willing to sort of push through some still gray space um, in terms of, you know, how this is all going to end up will accrue to the folks that are leading from the front. And so, you know, if I could make one sort of recommendation is get going, folks, that are first, both in terms of the marketing organizations and the people that sort of support them, I think will end up being sort of the more durable, permanent part of sort of the fabric of this now re-engineered, like explicitly designed marketplace that we're all being asked to produce in real time. And um, that hopefully is motivating. But um, again, it also uh, demands um, some work and some focus. So let's have at it. Yeah, if I could build on that, I think because uh, I've seen really probably the first third inside the AANA absolutely engaged. I think there's a hidden challenge and opportunity that I've observed inside companies that have that are in the first third. It's forcing a discussion between marketing and privacy policy executives inside companies that has not needed to happen. And that is basically a new challenge and a new opportunity for companies to clarify their policies on consumer privacy as it relates to how they want to exist with their consumer and then have the marketing debate about what the policy should be. And it's been fascinating to watch and fascinating to see. And that's going to be new work for anybody who's who hasn't jumped into this. Because without that conversation, you really can't have it. Because privacy is, is at the heart of this, consumers are at the heart of this, and the new solutions is at the heart of identity. So uh, that's where I think you know, you'll know you see some new things that change how companies go to market based on those internal discussions. I just want to say one last thing on that point that Bill made. The thing about privacy is that it's not binary. It's not as though there's all privacy or no privacy. It's that we have to find a way to create an environment that's comfortable for people who are sharing information about themselves, whether it's known or behavioral, whatever. Like That's the opportunity here for brands to think about what is the right way to engage with consumers at every step of the life cycle that they have. You know, What is the right way to engage with a prospect could be a very, very different answer than what is the right way, it should be a different answer, than what is the right way to engage with a long-term customer. When I'm speaking to that person in the digital world. 
Yeah. And it's tricky for global operators. There's just big debates in terms of getting to that, the marketer point of view, but then the regulatory policy side that of multinationals. So it's fascinating work, but it takes a lot of new conversations internally to get consensus. Okay. Cookless world, profound changes in online advertising and how marketers cater to their audiences. Uh, big uh, changes in store. Big thanks to our guests today for joining me on the A&A Champions of Growth podcast. Joe Zawatsky, CEO of MediaMath, Joanna O'Connell, VP Principal Analyst at Forrester Research, and Bill Tucker, Group Executive Vice President at the ANA, who's in charge of data, technology, and measurement, and Executive Director of PRAM. Until next time, thanks for listening.